The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Hey everyone, good morning. Hey, guess what? Today, here at Coastal Community Church, week two of At The Movies, uh, we have a, uh, a, a treat, a special uh, guest with us today. Uh, Scott Huff is our uh, uh, going to be speaking for us today, uh, preaching the word, and he was our, uh, our former uh, youth pastor, uh, was here for three years, and a good friend of mine, and a good friend of Coastal. So if you would, uh, let's give uh, Scott a huge uh, Coastal welcome back to preaching with us today. Well, I am uh, here in the middle of two weeks of camp pastoring for a youth camp at Charleston Southern University. I had it this last week and have it this coming week as well. And uh, so just having the opportunity to be able to come and share with you this morning. I'm excited about the opportunity, excited to be back. I've been not quite a year yet and uh, since I've been gone, but uh, excited to be able to be here with you this morning. Lori and Carly were with me this week, but they had to go back on Thursday. Lori had to work this weekend, so uh, she was devastated that she wasn't going to be able to be here and see all of you. But it's been great getting a chance just to be able to hang out already and just getting to say hi uh, to a lot of you, and I'd love to see you after if I haven't had a chance uh, to talk with you just yet. Uh, But we're in week two of At The Movie series, which has been uh, historically one of the favorite series uh, here at Coastal each summer. Everybody looks forward to it. The staff, we've looked forward to preparing and planning for it. It's just a a great time, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, uh, and just a great way to kind of kick off the summer. And so uh, with week two, uh, the movie is Captain America Civil War. How many of you have seen this movie? Anybody? All right, not a lot of you. Okay, wow. There wasn't a lot in the first service either. Uh, great movie, uh, especially if you love superhero movies. This is a great movie for you. Uh, it's, a, it's a little long in the first 40 minutes. They're kind of slow just because they're setting up the, you know, the story and the stage, but then it kind of, it really dives into it, gets into it, and it is a great movie, and I would encourage you to go uh, and check it out and see it. Uh, but this, uh, this movie, just to kind of give you a quick summary of it, uh, with many people fearing the actions of the superheroes that have kind of been going on through the, some of the previous movies, the Avengers and all these others, uh, the government decides to push for what's called the Hero Registration Act, uh, and this is a law that limits a hero's actions. The results uh, in kind of a divisive you know, division amongst uh, the, uh, the Avengers. And uh, we end up seeing two different groups kind of take sides. One of them is Iron Man, who believes this, this government uh, act is a good thing to help kind of govern the, uh, the, the superheroes, to kind of give them some, some guidelines and to kind of watch over them, kind of hold them accountable. Uh, and then also Captain America, who disagrees uh, with this act and feels that saving the world is enough and they can't rely on the government to, to protect the world. And uh, he kind of thinks that they need to be able to have the, the ability and the option to be able to act when they need to act. And so what we see here is that uh, while a new villain arises in this movie, uh, there begins to take two sides, which is Team Captain America and Team Iron Man. And on Team Iron Man, you have uh, Iron Man himself, you have the uh, Black Panther, Vision, Black Widow, War Machine, and then Spider-Man, who you saw right there uh, at the very end. And he is, uh, that's one of my favorite characters that, were, uh, that was introduced into uh, this Avengers movie uh, to be able to see this, just kind of his little, uh, the, the words, the, the lines that he has are great. Uh, so I would encourage you to check that out. But uh, the other side, the other team is Team Captain America, which includes Captain America, Bucky Barnes, Falcon, Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and Ant-Man. I had never seen the Ant-Man movie, but after I got done watching this on a Friday afternoon, I went and saw the movie. As soon as I got done, Ant-Man, who is... uh 
played by it's Mark Rudd, I think is the name. Mark Rudd, is that right? Mark Rudd. Uh, like when he, uh, he, I get done watching the movie, man, it was his one-liners and his just, his, uh, you know, his character in that movie. It made me, I go, I went and bought the Ant-Man movie on the way home. And it goes, I, it goes like, man, I gotta, I gotta see this. Like, cause it, it was so good. Just, uh, his character as well. Uh, but through this, we have these two different teams, both Iron Man and Captain America. And the thing is, is they both have strong convictions about the direction that they are going, about the belief that they have about what their mindset is of what they think is right. And through this, they begin to head in that direction. And these convictions are so strong that it motivates both men uh, to live on mission and to pursue after their belief with everything that they have, to pursue uh, a, a specific goal or a specific outcome that they believe and they are so convicted by it that they would do and stop at nothing. Now, how does this relate to being a Christian? How does this relate to Scripture? Is the fact that we have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a belief. We should have conviction about who Jesus Christ is, that we want to pursue after him with everything that we have. And we want to live on mission to see that happen. <clears throat> now, when I think about this, the idea that I want us kind of just to start with is that these... these uh, Team Captain America, Team Iron Man, that they're pursuing after their belief, their conviction. Have you ever pursued after something with everything that you have? I mean, everything that you've got, heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that you have, everything that you are, you pursued after something. Because I think we've all done that in different situations, different cases in our life. And, uh, you know, maybe for you, maybe it was a, as a kid, maybe it was a sport or something like that. For me, as a kid, it was basketball. Man, I loved basketball. I would play basketball nonstop. Everything I did and thought of and, and acted on was all about basketball. And how can I get better? And how can I play more basketball? And I, and I did all of these kinds of different things because I loved basketball. So I went in that direction. I pursued after that, that dream. It was very uh, external, very outwardly focused, you know, a lot of, you know, physical things and conditioning and strength and all that kind of stuff and, and, and working on shooting and drills and all that kind of thing. But there's also something else I pursued after in my life, and it was a little bit later on, and that was when I pursued after my wife. Husbands, do you remember pursuing after your wife before, like when you first started dating? Man, <laughs> when you pursue after your wife, it is an incredible thing, and it's something that we should still continue to do even after we're married that we should pursue after our wife. But we pursue after uh, that relationship with everything that we have. And so for me, when I pursued after my wife, Lori, and man, I remember just like, you know how, guys, you know how like you think about for like days and days and days to like set up what is the perfect date that's gonna get her, you know, that's gonna work. And like, this is the one. And you think up for days and days and days. And then you come up with this awesome plan and you're like, we're going to dinner and a movie. And like, that's all you could come up with because you weren't very creative. So you go to dinner and a movie, you know, and it's, it's incredible. And like, man, you just, you go after and you, and you, but you think about it all the time. What can I do next? What can I, how can I, you know, you know, really win her over. And you know, you do all these different things. You know, you save up money for months. You work hard, you save up money for months to take her to a, a nice meal. And you know, you show up to Applebee's and there's like this, I mean, <laughs> Don't be knocking Applebee's. It worked for me. That was our first date. And we got, it worked, all right? Don't be knocking Applebee's. So you save up all this money. You work up, you know, and you go to Applebee's and you sit there and, and you're like, order anything you want. Anything. You know, and she orders the most expensive thing on the menu. And you're like, I'll have the salad and the water, please. Because then you're like, well, I would like to save some of this money too. You know, like, so you start thinking that way, you know. But like you're pursuing after and you're thinking like, man, I, I, I want to go after her. And like, it's everything that I have, my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's very internal, very heart-focused. You have to do things that go along with that, but it's very much a heart, an emotional 
thing when you pursue after uh, someone. But when we pursue after Jesus, when we pursue after who he is, it is both internal and external. I would say it's even 50-50. Like, you spend a whole lot of time because, first of all, you have to have a conviction in your heart. Your heart has to change. There has to be a transformation of your heart to where then you want to seek after him with everything that you have. And that you want to then use the external part where you serve other people, you love other people, you, 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 you do Bible study, you worship. It's very uh, external in that, in that case. But it's very much heart, internal, but it's very much external as well. So both, pursuing after Jesus requires both of these things. Now, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2.22. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, and it says this. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. If you've grown up in the church at all or been in the church for any length of time, uh, you have probably heard this passage of Scripture. Uh, being a student pastor uh, for over eight years now, like this is a, a passage of Scripture that I've used often uh, with teenagers, uh, with even our students uh, here when I was here. Um, it says this in 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions. That's the part right there for the teenagers. Like, you know, flee them youthful passions. Stay away from them youthful passions. Run away from them. Flee the youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This flee youthful passions, it's not just meant for youth. It's meant for all of us. There's a lot of things that are youthful passions, desires, and lusts that are in our life that we've got to run from. We've got to flee. We've got to get away from those things because they'll drag us down. They'll drag us into sin. They'll harm our relationship with God. So in this, I want to pull out four different truths uh, that will be on your outline uh, that you have in your, uh, in your worship guide this morning. The first one is this, missional people pursue away from the cultural norm. Missional people pursue away from the cultural norm. People that live on mission for God will pursue away from the cultural norm. Part of pursuing something is fleeing away from something else. Right? If you're going to run towards something, you got, there's something else that you've got to run away from. Now, for me, uh, I was here for three years, and you've, I've, I've talked about this before. I have one fear in my life. What is it? Sharks. Sharks. The students know, right? Like, it's sharks, man. Sharks freak me out. They scare me. I saw Jaws at a way too young of age. Like, man, it's, they, they spook me. Because I'm convinced that every shark in the ocean is 25 feet long and has big jaws and wants to eat me. Like, that's what I'm convinced of. And so uh, when I moved to Charleston four years ago, and everybody's like, man, you're going to live by the beach, and it's going to be awesome. And blah, I said, I'm going to get eaten by a shark. That's how it's all going to go down. The end of my life will be while I'm here in Charleston. And that hasn't happened. Thankfully, it didn't happen uh, in the time that I lived here. Uh, but I, I saw that movie as a kid, and man, it scared me to death. And one time when I was a little bit older, middle school, uh, we went to Florida on vacation, and I uh, was riding, a, uh, we had some family down there, and we went to, to the beach, and I was riding a boogie board out in the water in the ocean, and I'm riding this boogie board in this wave, and as I'm riding in, I kind of look over, and about six or eight feet away from me, there's a shark in the wave. Now, I'm pretty sure it was about 25 feet. Probably more like six. But I see that shark, and so what do I do? Steer that boogie board over. And it kind of came a little bit, steer that boogie board over here, you know? And then all of a sudden that wave crashes, and I stand up, and it's about waist-high water, and that tail starts flipping. I was the second person to ever walk on water at that point, y'all. Like right then, that moment. I got back to the beach because I was pursuing life, and I was fleeing from that shark. You see, we laugh, but it's true. Man, to pursue after life in Jesus Christ, life eternal, we have to flee from something, and it's death, it's sin. Because sin leads us to death. But Jesus gives us life. 
So to pursue after Jesus, man, we have to flee from that. We have to run away from that sin that is in our life. And we have these sinful desires in, the, in this world that have become so normal. Would you agree? They're like, man, you look in the world today and sin has become accepted. It has become normal for everybody. We're just letting it go. We're not calling out our friends when, when they're in sin. We're not calling out uh, and, and being that accountability to somebody that needs to help, be held accountable. And if you love somebody, you're not just going to let them do something that separates them further from God or that separates them further into sin. You're not going to do that if you truly love them. And if you truly love somebody, you're going you're to call them out and say, man, that's not right. And that's leading you down a dangerous path and that you need to be this direction. You need to repent of that sin and move back towards God and pursue after him with everything that you have. And we've let this be accepted in our, in our culture Man, it's, it's, it's getting ridiculous. It's crazy. But pursuit of God involves repentance. So when we're running or pursuing after sin in our life, when we're, we're lost and we're separated from God, we're going one direction. But to repent is to turn around and go the other direction. So when we do that, we're putting sin on our back and we're going after God with everything that we have. So in this moment, uh, they realize that we've got to turn away from the sin, but we pursue after these things, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. See, Paul's telling Timothy that he must run from the world's standards and not let the worldly things hold him down. What worldly things are you holding on to right now? What worldly things are in your life that are dragging you down? What sinful things are in your life that are kind of chained you to sin that you can't pursue after God because you're not breaking yourself from that sin? You're not breaking yourself from that thing, that possession, that person, that relationship, that job, that whatever it is, you've got something in your life that is holding you back from being everything that God wants you to be. The second truth is this. Missional people pursue after godly qualities. Missional people pursue after godly qualities. See, to be Christ-like, we have to act like Christ. Right? Like, mind blown right there. Like, to be Christ-like, you gotta live like Christ. It makes sense. It's easy to see that if we really wanna be like him, we have to actually live like him. We also have to know him to be able to do that. And we have a whole lot of people in this world today that are claiming to be Christians, but living like the world. They're claiming to be a Christ follower, but yet they're not living anything like Jesus would want them to live like. So we've got to have some people that need to quit claiming this, this faith or this relationship when they're not living it out in their life. For me, I don't claim to be a hipster. You know why I don't claim to be a hipster? I don't like coffee. I don't like skinny jeans. So I don't claim to be a hipster because I'm not willing to put in the work to be a hipster. And I'm really not willing to put this into some skinny jeans. Like it wouldn't be good. Like it would be bad if that happened, okay? So I don't do it. So I don't claim to be one because I'm not willing to put in the work. I'm not willing to, to do the work of being a hipster. And to, so like for us as, as people right here in this room, if you claim to be a Christian, you have to be willing to put in the work. You have to pursue after these godly qualities, righteousness, faith, love, peace, and a whole lot of other things that can go along with that in the way that we walk day in and day out as a Christ follower. You see, Christ is these things, righteousness, he's faithful, he's loving, he's peaceful. The question is, are you? We need to try and reflect that and try to imitate that. Imitation isn't the real thing, is it? But it's really close. How close do you imitate Christ? How close do you reflect who he is? If we were to um, go to your school or your workplace right now, or your family, and say, does this person reflect who Jesus Christ is? You don't get to warn them or anything like that. But if we were just to walk over there right now, wherever it is, and say, does this person reflect Jesus? What would they say? Some of you would say, well, they, they would say, yeah. yeah I, I, 
I'm vocal about my faith. I try to live out like, you know, how Jesus lives. That's awesome. Keep doing that. Some of you would say, well, no, because I don't necessarily like live it out. I don't necessarily talk about it. I don't, you know, I don't, it's, so maybe they'd probably say no. But then some of you would maybe even say no because you're like, well, they don't really know who Jesus is. If you're reflecting Jesus, then they should know exactly who he is. People, we've got a, a life that we claim and we can talk all day about, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I love Jesus. But if our life doesn't resemble or reflect that, how strong is that faith? How much have we really surrendered our life to Jesus Christ if there's none of that, none of those character traits, none of these godly qualities in our own life? See, pursuing godly qualities looks completely different than pursuing worldly qualities. Pursuing worldly qualities looks worldly. Pursuing godly qualities looks godly. I see a whole lot of people talking about Jesus, but walking like the world. We've got we to change that. If we're truly going to be a Christ follower, truly going to be somebody that lives missionally, that pursues after Jesus with everything that we have, not just a part of us, not just a piece of us, but everything, because that's what we're called to do, then we have to make a change. It has to be a transformation in our life. The third truth that I want to pull out of here uh, this morning is missional people pursue alongside other believers. Missional people pursue alongside other believers. Community with other believers brings encouragement. It brings accountability to all who are committed. We work better together. We do these things better together as a church, right? Like we are a church right here in this room. And Coastal Community Church, it's not a building. It's not uh, 460 Arlington Drive. Can't believe I remembered that. But like, it's like, like this is, it's not this building. It's not this place. It's these people. It's you. The church of Coastal is the church that's going to reach this community. It's going to reach West Ashley. It's going to reach Charleston County. It's going to reach the workplaces. It's going to reach the schools. It's going to reach the families of this area because you are a committed Christ follower who lives missionally alongside other believers. We do things better together. You think about this. How many, do we have any rock climbers? Anybody like rock climbing? Yeah? A couple of you? Okay. I love the idea of rock climbing, man. It's awesome. I don't like the idea of rock falling, however. Like, that seems, like, really bad. And I feel like if you rock climb, at some point there is going to be a rock fall. And I don't want to do this until that happens. If I did that, I would want that to stop before this happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to fall. Like, but I, I would love to climb rocks, you know, if you, to do that. Because I think it's cool. But when you rock climb... And I mean, like, not like those crazy people that rock climb and they hang by like a pointer finger off of like a ledge and they're like, eh, you know, like, I mean, when you climb with a rock and you climb with a partner and you've got like a rope going up and kind of, you know, in case you do fall, there is a rope and like you're climbing. The person that's holding that rope at the bottom of the, of the cliff, that person's called a belay. And a belay is like the word relay, but with a B. And what that person does is they hold that rope so that the person's climbing. Each time they go up a little bit further, they'll take that rope and they'll clip it on the next clip. What that person at the bottom holding that rope does is if that person begins to stumble and begins to fall, that person at the bottom of that rope holds on tight. And it keeps that person from falling too far. So when they begin to stumble, they begin to fall, they're there to help and support them. But another thing that person can do, another thing that belay can do, is that when they're climbing up that rock and they got it clipped on and, they need, and they're trying to go to that next ledge and they're reaching out and they're just a little bit short, that that person can pull on that rope and it pulls them just a little bit more and gives them just a little bit extra to where they can grab hold of the next ledge. People, that's what the church is supposed to be like. 
That's what God's people are supposed to do together. That when we fall, when we jump into sin or we fall into sin and we have this moment in our life where we we drop back and we begin to stumble, we begin to struggle, that there's somebody there to hold us up. There's somebody there to support us and keep us from falling too far that we can then push and help hold so that they can grab hold again. And then beyond that, whenever we are in a position in our faith where we're trying to go to the next level and take the next step, the next grab on the next ledge, that somebody is there to kind of help push us or help, in this case, on a rope to be able to pull us up, to give us a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more motivation, a little bit more momentum to be able to grab that ledge and to be able to move on and to move forward in our faith. People as a church, that's what we need to be doing. We're not in this alone. We're in it as a group. We're in it as a team. So we do these things like Bible study and worship and uh, missions and we serve our community and we do all these different things, but we do them together because we can make a greater impact. If you ever watch ducks in a flying V and when the ducks are flying and you got one lead duck and as they're flying, that lead duck may get tired. And when that happens is when that lead duck gets tired, the lead duck begins to drop back and the duck from the rear comes up to the front and takes the lead. And they work this like a system so that whenever the one is at the front that's taking most of the headwind, he gets tired, he can drop back and then they replace him because the ones at the back are using less energy to fly just as fast and just as far as the lead one because they're working together as a team. Or this, do we have any NASCAR fans? Anybody, or let me, rednecks. Anybody rednecks? We got any rednecks? <laughs> Let me be politically correct. NASCAR Americans. Do we have any NASCAR Americans in the house? I, I, I don't like NASCAR. I don't like NASCAR. I don't get it. I, I drive in circles. It makes no sense to me. But anyways, so you got in NASCAR, right? You got this thing called drafting. And when you're drafting, man, you got two cars. Man, they're going like 700. How fast do they go? Anybody? 200? 700 sounds better. 700 miles an hour. And they're driving around the track. And they're like an inch apart. At 700 miles, 200 miles, 700 miles an hour, and when they're like an inch apart. Well, the reason is because they can work off of one another, and they're going just as fast, just as far, on, and they're conserving energy. They're conserving fuel because they work together. You see, how much faster, how much further can we go if we'll just work together? Think about it. You got maybe uh, horsepower, the idea of horsepower, and I don't mean like the horsepower in your car, but like actual horses pulling horsepower. If you've got one horse that pulls 700 pounds and another horse that pulls 700 pounds, you know, if you're, get, you're getting the work of 1,400 pounds if you have two of them, right? So uh, if you put them together and they work together, how much, how much can you pull? Anybody? It's a trick question. Don't say 1,400. It's not 1,400. It's 2,800 pounds because they each pull 700, but together they work off of one another and each can pull an additional 700 to where they're not getting 1,400 pounds of power by the by themselves, the two of them, but together you're getting 2,800 pounds of power. They're working like four horses. You and your community, in your workplace, in your school, whatever power, whatever amount of energy you're putting out to be able to work for the kingdom of God, if you would combine with someone else or a group of people, how much better can you be? How much stronger can you be? How many more people can you reach? How much more effective can God's kingdom work through you when you work together? It's exponentially better. It's greater. It's stronger. We have to, uh, as a part of this, working alongside other believers, sometimes we have to evaluate our circle of influence. We have a circle of influence of the people that are around us. Uh, Sometimes we need to remove those that are toxic. We have people in our life that are there to drag us down. We have people in our life that may seem uh, like they have our best intention, but they are there to to harm us, to hurt, to break our relationship with God. They are there to pull us and to drag us down and pull us further away from God and more towards sin. We need to remove those people from our life. You see, I'm working with teenagers, 
uh, I, I've seen this a lot because uh, working with uh, teenage girls specifically, uh, teenage girls, you got two girls that are walking along like, we're besties, and they're arm in arm, and then all of a sudden something happens, it's like, and they turn, and like it changes just like that. And then all of a sudden, they're like, there's like, they're, fight, they're like, oh, we're besties, and then they're besties again, and like they go back and forth, and it's back and forth, and back and forth, and it's like, what is going on? If you're that bad for each other, man, separate. Get away from each other, right? Like, man, we got to remove people in our lives sometimes. It's tough. And sometimes it has nothing to, you both may, sometimes you both may be better off without each other. But we have people in our life that will drag us down. And our circle of influence is, is, is a circle of people that are uh, influencing our life, that they're making an impact in who we are. Man, we need, to, we need to be really, have some high standards for who those people are that are our closest group, our closest core people. Sometimes we need to remove somebody. So who's in your huddle? Because you all need to be going the same way. You all need to be pursuing after the same direction. The fourth truth is this. Missional people pursue life change with a pure heart. Missional people pursue life change with a pure heart. In this movie, they had, uh, you know, they worked alongside each other, just like we were talking about a second ago. Uh, but they, they pursued after a, a change, and they did it from uh, what we would say is, is a mostly pure heart in the sense that they had, they had what they thought was going to be better and that they were working towards that. Well, here's the difference. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, we know what's best already. That a relationship with Jesus Christ is the best way. It's the only way to have eternal life in heaven. It's the only way to complete and full joy and peace. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Who shall stand in God's holy place? Those that have clean hands and a pure heart, that don't lift up their soul to something that is false, they don't swear, they don't, they, they don't lie, they don't swear deceitfully. People, we have to have a pure heart. There has to be a change in our heart. There has to be a transformation made inside, internally, for us to then act externally. And those things go together. That if we're going to live one way and say we are, you know, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I'm going to do this. We have to live that out in our, in our actions, in our speech. But there has to be a change that first starts that in our heart. There has to be a transformation made to live with godly purpose and not an earthly purpose. To seek to make him famous and to bring him glory is what we are commanded to do. It's our, our call to obedience is to, is to do that and to give God the glory as he works in our life. A statement that I want to give you says this. It's not that you are living perfect while pursuing, but it's but that he has made you perfect so you can fully pursue imperfectly. Now, there's a lot of pursue and perfect and imperfect and all that, but here's the, the gist of it. That it's not, we're not saying that you live a perfect life. But what we are saying is that you have been made perfect in the eyes of God, so now you have the freedom to pursue after perfection while doing it imperfectly. Because you're going to strive for perfection. You're going to strive for righteousness, as it says, faith, love, and peace. You're going to try after those things with everything that you have as a Christ follower. But you're not going to be able to do it perfectly. You're going to struggle. You're going to stumble. There's going to be times that you fall. You see, being a Christ follower, a change in your heart, a change, a transformation made when you surrender your life to Jesus, not only as Savior, but also as Lord. It's not like, I'm not going to tell you this, that life's going to all of a sudden just be great. It's going to be awesome, and man, finances are good, and marriage is good, and relationships with friends are good, and school is good, all that kind of stuff, because that's not what Scripture says. 
What scripture says is that Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome these things and that a relationship with him provides an eternal joy, an eternal peace. But he's not only your savior, but he's also your Lord of your life day in and day out. A pure heart is not empty, but it's filled with God's riches and blessings. And a pure heart is being sanctified, meaning it's becoming holy. It's becoming more like Jesus daily, constantly, as you pursue after him. So the question I want to ask you to kind of close us down What has your heart? Right now in your own life, what has your heart? Is it Jesus? Is it something? Is it work? Is it school? Is it someone? What has your heart? You have different things that are are attacking for your attention. They're attacking for your energy. But mostly they're coming and they're attacking for your heart. Because they want to consume you and overtake you and overcome you. They want to pull you away from Jesus in your relationship as you pursue after him. And we've got to quit leaning into the sin and holding on to the sin and letting the sin just you know, chain us back because if we're going to pursue after God with everything that we have, we have to break that sin. And it only comes through a relationship with Christ and it only comes through a daily walk with him as we become closer to him each day, day in and day out. So what has your heart? You've been listening to a message from Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, Check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.